Collective Insights as a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights. Hey, welcome to the Collective Insights podcast, podcast of Neurohacker Collective. My name is Daniel Schmachtenberger. I'm part of the research and development team here, and we are delighted today to have uh, Joe Cohen with us. Joe is the founder and CEO of Self-Hacked and Self-Decode, and uh, the author of a couple books that have published through Self-Hacked, one on uh, biohacking and one on uh, biohacking insomnia. And Joe is really kind of an example of one of our deepest values at the collective, which is empowered responsibility. Uh, He had uh, health issues that were complex and unsolvable through the traditional methods and not solved by the doctors and therapists that he went to see. So he just started a deep research project to figure it out himself. And uh, years and many insights later actually did come to uh, robust health uh, in a way that medicine hadn't presented to him. And in the process, had that become his offering to the world. So the reason for the name self-hacked is he's, his publishing website is offering key insights into supplements, vitamins, biomarkers, pathologies, diets, all different things relevant to uh, health and wellness, and is really becoming uh, one of the premier information publishing websites for integrative medicine and biohacking, but really intended to help empower people to figure out their own health. And Self-Decode is a newer offering that is a biometrics platform to give people insight into their own genetics and biomarkers. And uh, so Joe has a, a good depth of research doing these for the last few years, his own longer term journey uh, personally, and then also having facilitated consulting with many people in their health journeys. And so lots of things we can talk about. And uh, Joe, delighted to have you here with us today. It's great to have, it's great to be here, Daniel. It's a pleasure. So one of our core kind of themes, uh, values at the collective is this concept of empowered responsibility. That even when you're working with doctors, it's your responsibility to find out what are the right doctors, to get the second opinions, to understand what they're talking about, to implement the things that are appropriate. Um, since this seems so core to your work, would you just share a little bit about um, you know, what your aim in empowering, educating people in relationship to their health is? Yeah, I think, um, I think we have an issue here where the medical system is, uh, the way it's established now is you go to a doctor for about five minutes. And um, I, I think there's too much data from an individual. An individual will have too many symptoms and too much data points for the doctor to actually understand everything in five minutes, even if they knew everything. So if they were a perfectly intelligent and perfectly knowledgeable person, um, it would still be a problem to uh, you know uh, get all the information in five minutes or even in an hour. And so uh, for me, you know, there was, I would have never been able to go to enough doctors to, to figure it out. You know, you go to a different doctor or if you go to the same doctor, um, in general, the, the doctor, it, it gets very expensive as well. And I didn't have money back then to just spend uh, tens of thousands of dollars just, you know, with doctors and uh, doing unlimited tests and things like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I went to a few, I, I wanted to see what was going on. And I just got the sense quickly that I wasn't going to be helped by the conventional establishment and 
the alternative, I didn't think I was going to be helped too much either. And uh, I just felt like um, the only way for me to get better was to understand the body uh, from a very deep, from a very deep way, like a bio, the biochemistry of the body better than any of the doctors that I've went to. And um, that didn't seem to be very hard because a lot of doctors actually didn't know that much about <laughs> the human body. It was just, um, you know, they kind of forgot everything once they finished medical school. And that was that. Uh, they know a lot about maybe certain medicines and things like that, but I wasn't into fixing my problem with drugs anyway. I didn't think that was the optimal solution. Um, most, you know, uh, the, the vast majority of the drugs. So for me, I thought I needed to learn about the body in an in-depth way. And so I would just plow through scientific studies, uh, lots of abstracts, some, a lot of them full studies, but um, just plow through as much information as I can. And um but then I realized that, you know, I have all this information. Uh, how can I should communicate this information to other people? Because I didn't see other websites that were doing that. I, I saw people giving shallow information or like there would be like this concept in the alternative world or paleo world or whatever world. And then it would just get regurgitated it would kind of go viral. And so every, you know, every couple of years, it would be a different concept, you know, like leaky gut. OK, the whole, yeah, you just got leaky gut. You've got this, whatever. And it was just like, this is way too much Kool-Aid in the uh, alternative world. And, um, uh, you know, and I also saw everybody promoting their own diet. Like, this is the diet for you. And this is the right diet. And this is, if you want to be, you know, healthy, this is what you got to do. And I, and I realized early on that everybody's different. Everyone's physiology is different. All you need to do is, like, look at people's stories. And everyone gets healed in a different way. It's like, how did you get healed? Well, I got healed by doing this diet. I got healed by that diet. I got healed by doing X, Y, Z, this drug, this supplement, whatever it is. And so I knew that if I'm to predict what I'm going to do well with, I have to understand the body first. I understand how I have to understand how the body interacts with the environment, um, various aspects of the environment and, uh, you know, kind of uh, put the pieces of the puzzle together. And it's also going to take a lot of time and so I, I realized I had to just do it myself. And so once I figured it out for myself and I fixed my issues, that's when I started, you know, full time. Okay, what are the information? What's the information that needs to get out to people? Uh, what are they looking for? And just like, you know, uh, create really, really in-depth posts so that if someone's looking at for something, they don't need to spend 100 hours doing research, even if they were able to. They could just look at the post, see it you know, get, scan everything they need to know and really understand the topic in like 20 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. So th- that's where self-hacked was born. I think I remember seeing your site when it first came out like four years ago. Wow. Okay. And, uh, you know, in solving health problems for myself with a, a similar kind of trajectory, I, I did spend those hundreds of hours on uh, PubMed and, you know, various sources and putting the pieces together. And some of the first articles you put out put together pieces that weren't put together well but that belong together and I was like wow I like this this guy's doing a great job with it and it's been awesome to see as you've uh, been able to scale up your team you've been able to maintain your quality of research well as you're getting more info out so I do think it serves a really novel place in the information ecology yeah I appreciate (laughs) that thanks just to piggyback on something you said about uh, conventional medicine I think all of our listeners here understand this, but it's worth saying conventional medicine has done uh, an amazing job at dealing with acute medical needs. And so if any of us are feeling uh, chest pain 
or get a gunshot wound or, you know, any kind of uh, trauma injury, we're definitely going to go there. Um, Or even something that could be surgically removed. There are some cancer, my personal belief, there are some cancers that if you could just surgically remove it, it might be a better option than, you know, trying to eat a lot of kale or something. (laughs) Yeah. Now, of Um, course, if we surgically remove it and it's contained within a capsule and we're able to, you know, remove it well, uh, that might help. Uh, prevent pathogenesis profoundly. It didn't address why the cancer grew originally and the chance of recurrence. And so we still would want to do that in conjunction with something that addresses the chronic um, pathogenicity underneath it. And the functional medicine world, the naturopathic world is doing a better and better job of this, but it hasn't had the same kind of research funding as say pharma has. And so what the doctors largely get to study that has good science is what some biomedical, mostly pharma, gets to put exactly. a huge amount of money into research, which is never really going to be preventative or curative. It will mostly be symptom management. Yeah. Um, and most of the doctors, even that are doing very earnest work, are specialists. And when we see chronic illness, it's across many different systems. And you know, when I would do intake with people, I don't know about you, to do a good job getting their whole medical history, getting all the symptoms, doing the differential diagnosis, looking at all the labs and making sense of it, making sure we didn't miss much. It was hours. Yeah. Tens in the of initial, hours even. In the initial yeah. E- eval. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's so, it's, it's a tremendous amount of time. And if, if, you know, if your time is very valuable, then you want to like, you're going to have to charge for it too. Right. And so yeah. um, I, I kind of started feeling bad as I started charging more because like I have other things I need to do. Um, And that's why I started to realize that I needed to start building systems that people can use that are cheap, that they can start figuring out the issues themselves instead of me, um, you know, spending 10 hours on each person and and charging a lot of money. So if you don't mind, just short version, walk us through your health journey here. Okay, definitely. So um, I guess when I I had like just chronic issues growing up. I didn't, I, I, like as an adolescent, I didn't realize it was a big problem. Um, I never thought I had an issue, uh, but you know, I'd be like tired or something like that. I, I, after a meal, I'd start getting tired. And um, as I started getting older, the, the issues only got worse, not better. And so, you know, in the beginning, you just don't know what other people are experiencing. And then eventually you're just like, okay, something's, I, I was doing, I was kind of biohacking from a young age, but I was, um, I, I guess I didn't have enough knowledge or, you know, just uh, wasn't mature enough to really do it in a way that was effective. So uh, I had issues, uh, you know, as an adolescent, probably from the age of like 13 already. And um, as I got older, it got worse, but then I was doing different things kind of to modulate it a bit. Uh, but then at a certain point, I, I tried a really bad experiment and I just knew it was at a certain point where I had a health meltdown. I knew that it wasn't normal. Like this is completely out of the norm. And I, I'm also a very curious person, intensely curious. And I'd be the, the person to ask people, I, I must have asked like 500 people. So do you get tired after meals? <laughs> right. Uh, like, cause I want to know what other people are experiencing. And most people would say, some people would say, yeah, sometimes um, a lot of people would say like, yeah, they had some issues, which kind of made me seem like I'm more normal. But um, I, I did get the idea that it was more outside the norm. And so um, you know, after, and, and so I was doing other experiments, I was looking at other blogs and, you know, trying other things and seeing, uh, you know, what I, I kind of gave it a chance. Like, let me see, let me try out these things that other people are saying. 
Um, and, and then at a certain point, I realized that um, the people I was reading the information from knew less than me. Uh, so I, I, I thought that I also realized that everyone's different. So I can't listen to people necessarily uh, just as like a kind of template. I mean, I realized that the way I had to get better was two things. Number one is understanding the body as much as possible. Number two is just experimenting with literally everything. I, I had the assumption that if I experiment with 500 things, right, just try everything, whatever, you know, even if I, I whether I, I know it's going to work for me or don't, or I think it's a low probability, if I just go through everything, start with the higher probability stuff, but then just go through everything. If, if only 10 things work for me, then uh, that will have a massive impact over many years. So at a certain point, I decided to just systematically go through everything that I could get my hands on or anything that I could any experiment that I could do I did it and I'm pretty I can get like a pretty focused and intense like when I'm when I've got a goal I'm very goal oriented so when I have a goal I go for it I shoot and I, and I go full full hog so if I'm trying to diet I'm gonna do it fully um, so uh, I would like experiment with every single food item and what I would do is I would try to take that food item in like massive doses like a massive dose. So if I was saying, okay, let's see if I react to bread, I would eat nothing but like a whole loaf of bread and see how I felt. <laughs> uh, you know, let's see if I, how I react to this. And I would just try it in a massive quantity. So um, part of that, uh, what I realized I needed to do was go through everything and, and, and do it in like a high dosage and one at a time, see how it worked. Uh, and, and so that was one realization that I had. Another realization that I had was um, can I ask you something about that? Yeah, sure. And then we'll come back to the other realization. So we obviously have a number of different chemicals that have um, U-shaped response curves, uh, where in a low dose, it does something that is actually pharmacologically different, not just a different amount than it does in a high dose. We look at low dose naltrexone compared yeah. to full dose naltrexone. Sure. They're totally different creatures. Okay. And that could be the case with many things. So obviously what you're doing is very important there, right? The self-experimentation and you have to figure out what metrics am I tracking and which things do I think should show up right away versus how long and um, how do I control for other variables? So N equals one is a tricky thing to gain insight on, but how would you deal with things where there was a reason to think that different dose ranges would actually have different pharmacological properties? So I, I, tr I always tried, uh, I first started at the lower dose uh, sometimes I would get impatient and just go to the higher dose, but just to, I, I think the higher dose is important for me. Now, this is not something I necessarily recommend to everyone. Um, you know, I, I think now I kind of, my goal is to give people better information so that they don't have to go through what I did. Um, but I guess when I was doing it, the information wasn't there. Um, I did the same thing, by the way. So I'm smiling okay. while you're talking. <laughs> but what I did was I started at a lower dose. The problem when you do something at a lower dose is all this kind of uh, background noise, right? So you can take a supplement and there's just a lot of background noise. And so you don't, you don't know how it's affecting you. So you double the dose, see how it is. Okay, there's still background. I think, um, you know, I think I'm feeling something, but I'm not sure. You double it again. And then, you know, a lot of the times it'd be like, holy shit, okay, I know what's going on here. <laughs> I, I, I understand what this is doing. Time to, uh, and if it, if it was doing something that I thought was like, um, good, then I would take it at a lower dose. It mm -hmm. was like, it, sometimes it could be like, okay, this is good, but it's a little too much for me. Mm -hmm. um, but at least I knew what to look out for when I took it. So, you know, 
uh, forskolin is a very powerful substance. And um, that like, uh, you know, if I was just taking it on a low dosage, um, I, I, I wouldn't notice the effect, right? Mm-hmm. But when you take it at a high dosage, all of a sudden you start noticing all these effects and then at a lower dosage, then, then you, uh, you could see, okay, it, it, I'm a- actually have a little bit of this effect and it's actually not bad at all. So I think it's important to um, do the low dose and then do the high dose if it's not going to be dangerous. I was a little, um, uh, a little too into risk. <laughs> I was a little too risk prone and I did some dangerous, more dangerous experiments that I don't recommend other people do, but essentially I, I think you start a low dose and, and slowly work up. I think that's fine for most people. Mm-hmm. So what about the topic of different pharmacology at thresholds? So just examples, say we take methylene blue at a very high dose will become antiparasitic, right? Antimalarial. At a low dose, it's not going to have that function at all. It's actually going to be, you know, the effects that someone might get are going to be uh, ATP uh, optimization. So it's actually a different pharmacological curve at threshold. Hydroxychloroquine will be antimalarial at a certain dose. Below that, it'll just be anti-inflammatory. So do you study the pharmacodynamics enough to know where those thresholds are beforehand? Yeah, I, I think methylene blue is actually an exception to the rule. It, it's it's a good example of the exception. I don't think if you look at 500 substances, um, most of them are going to be like methylene blue. But that happens to be a good example mm-hmm. of something at a high dose, which has antimicrobial effects. It increases serotonin. At low doses, it has a very different effect, more mitochondrial. So um, that's kind of where the knowledge also comes in. If you're just going to into everything blind, and you're just like, all right, I'll try this, that, and the other then that could be a problem. You want to go into it with some information, of course. And then uh, with methylene blue, like we have a post on that. So if you read it, you'll see, okay, in the low dose, it has this and the high dose, it has that. So going into it with a bit of information, I think is important. I also want to um, discuss the, the other thing that I, I didn't discuss, which is the other big realization that I had in, in doing self-experimentation. Um, if you're stressed out, I don't think you could figure anything out. Mm-hmm. In, on the one hand, you could either, the more stressed you are, the more prone you are to the placebo effect, number one. And because the placebo effect has a lot to do with the nervous system. And so if you're just overly stressed, you're like, I could be reacting to everything, right? And so a lot of these people who claim they're reacting to everything, um, I wonder sometimes if, you know, almost all the time, their nervous system is just out of whack. It's completely elevated. It's, it's, it's overboard. So the, the big critical moment for me was... Um, when I was about 20, I started getting into Zen and uh, I was, I was just, you know, it was just, for me, it was a lot of, um, I would hear the, like a lot of these Zen ideas and it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way in the beginning, but I, 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 I thought about them for a while. Like, you know, if you hear like, Oh, uh, you know, ambition uh, stops driving or something like that. It, and you're a very ambitious person. It's like, wait, what? But I want to strive, you know, it, 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 it can really, um, it can really play mind games on you in some ways. I mean, the philosophy is very simple, but we don't want to accept it, I think, or we don't fully accept it. So we might accept it part. Uh, we might, you know, and, and, and uh, like, for example, be like, you know, don't try to change anything. And we're always trying to change everything. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but for me, it was like kind of like a long, I'm, I'm, I was very, um, I'm, I'm, I was, I was very introspective and it was just constantly like, trying to be more aware of what's happening in my body or what's happening in my brain. What am I thinking right now? Um, is this, you know, what's the best way to live? And so I think for a while I kind of 
went into the self-improvement space where um, it was actually when I was 23, sorry, not 20. Uh, so from 23 to like 25, I was very into Zen. and I'm still very into Zen. And um, interesting enough, like the more I've been into it, the more my understanding gets more nuanced. Um, but essentially, uh, once I, I got into it a fair amount and I worked on myself for a few years, I started to be able to turn my nervous system down. Even though I had health issues at that point still, I still was uh, able to realize that, okay, now I might have like a physiological anxiety, but I know it actually doesn't matter, right? It would just be like, okay, uh, this really doesn't matter in my life. Like it's not going to change my level of happiness or anything. And, and I shouldn't really be stressed about it, but then I would be, I'd have a, just a physiological anxiety. And, and I knew that, okay, I've got to take care of the physiology, but in some ways I was like very calm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, once I figured out how to just kind of, um, you know, not be stressed about things. That's when the big improvements came because then I was able to test out things and the placebo response went down a lot. Uh, the, um, and, and, and even, and just in general, when your nervous system is activated, it, it, it's the same thing as if your, your body thinks you're in a, in a, um, situation where, you know, like, your your prime when you have your nervous system, if you're running away from a lion you don't notice if you got a cut right and and you know after that once you calm down you chill out you're like oh wait a second i'm bleeding right uh because we've evolved in in a way that you don't notice these kind of small changes in your physiology when something big and scary is happening in your life you know some life-changing event and if you're if you're interpreting everything as a life-changing event oh man i did horribly on this test my life is ruined, you know, <laughs> it, it, your body doesn't think of it that differently as if you're running away from a line. So doing that, I think, is, is, is the first stage where anyone, if someone wants to experiment and know what they're doing, that's number one. And then, and then I went into the one by one upping the dose uh, experiment stage. So if someone decreases their psychological stress, and that means their neurological stress, then they decrease the placebo effect. They mm -hmm. increase their clarity of mind. Exactly. Uh, they decrease the cortisol and all of the kind of top-down neurologic dynamics that are causing, you know, somewhere between 10 and 100% of the health issues just by themselves. Exactly. And then it's so easy when we have health issues, we don't understand to get anxious about it and mm -hmm. then make them worse, right? And so that yeah. feedback effect. But um, one of the things... That I thought was really neat. We had uh, Dr. Andrew Hill from Peak Brain Institute on the show recently. And so when he's doing neurofeedback, he does a QEG first and then does customized neurofeedback based on what's going on. So maybe it's alpha theta, maybe SMR, maybe delta training. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, you know, huge studies on the effect on PTSD, on sleep, on uh, eating disorders. But he said they did a study with... Uh, long-term AIDS patients who had extremely suppressed T-cells, they did a series of neurofeedback, no other physiological injunctions at all, and the T-cells raised statistically significantly. Mm -hmm. That's a huge deal because it's like, obviously, we're not giving them antivirals, right? We're not addressing the HIV that's underneath it, but just addressing the top-down regulation of what the nervous system is regulating and removing the stress from the system and increasing its regulatory capacity is huge. Neurofeedback is just giving us a more quantified way to do Zen. 
you know yeah definitely um so the thing is i actually came to this realization relatively recent which and i got i guess i was somewhat skeptical of neurofeedback for a long time it's like um if you just think about it it seems like a weird thing like you're just listening to beeps <laughs> and and it was always like oh you got to go to this practitioner and it's like five thousand dollars and i'm just like eh, i don't know about this um so uh you know i was i was i was pretty skeptical of of neurofeedback until i saw someone that uh they're actually working for me but um they said like the only thing they did was neurofeedback and i was like huh this is very interesting the, they didn't do anything else just neurofeedback and they said they had like crippling levels of anxiety couldn't do anything one thing they did was just neurofeedback and i was like okay um you know i'm a bit less skeptical now and so I decided to try it. I mean, again, it seemed like, what, it's just beeping sounds. How is this going to cause a permanent, like, effect in your brain and stuff? Um, and so I tried it, and it had a powerful impact. Not the one I, I wanted necessarily. I, I didn't know what I wanted exactly because I didn't have any issue that I was trying to fix. But um, that that allowed me to see, like, like what it did when I was doing it. It, like, made me super relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is too much. And And we were just testing out different things. But what I did see is that it's very powerful. And the other thing that I know is that you can't tell people to relax because that makes them more anxious. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I actually think that, uh, and, and, you know, giving people a, a ton of supplements, um, is, like if, if they're in just this hyper-stressed out state, they, they could think they're reacting to a lot of them. And um, it's just, I don't think that's necessarily the best approach. I mean, you could try it and, and sometimes it works, but I think most people are not going to, most people are not super introspective. They're not going to start adopting a whole Zen lifestyle. They've got a big family. They've got kids. They can't just, you know, go into the woods for a year or something. Um, and so I think neurofeedback is a critical element for the initial stages of if someone's chronically has an overactive nervous system. And that could be from PTSD. It could be from depressed. They could be depressed. I think it, it will have a powerful impact. Uh, in a lot of these conditions. And, and it makes sense that, you know, people with uh, HIV, I mean, if, if you have high cortisol, it's going to suppress the immune system even more, right? A lot of these stress hormones are going to suppress the immune system. And if you just, if you're just chilled out, um, your T cells should go up, you know? Um, and so I, I, that, that, that makes sense to me. It's, you know, whenever we see a placebo effect and we see someone actually get better, it's like, why did they get better thinking that they were going to get better? Oftentimes, it's because thinking they were going to get better, the worry stopped, the anxiety stopped. And so it wasn't the belief as much as it was the way the belief triggered the emotional change and the uh, the hormones and peptides that were mediating the emotion. Most negative emotions are mediated by biochemical markers that are pathophysiologic. Exactly. And uh, so whether you get better emotionally because you believe you're going to get better or because you're doing Zen training or neurofeedback or because mm-hmm. like Norman Cousins, you watch lots of comedy, the net change is actually the emotional chemistry yeah definitely uh and i think the the issue with neurofeedback of course is you it's just very expensive to go to 20 sessions by physician so naturally my mind got uh thinking and i was like why can't you just rent out a device make a course and have people watch the course and then you could also have like a webinar where people do it together right so this way you can scale it um it's still in the idea stage, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that if something's going to be more mainstream, it can't be $5,000. You know, I think Andrew Hill charges like 7,000 or something or more. I don't know. 
Um, I, I think in order for it to get mainstream, it's got to be like $1,500 at most. Uh, we so, have a couple yeah. friends that are working on actually high quality home devices. Cause so far, you know, you've got things like the Muse, but they're not, they don't even have leads in the right place. They have dry leads, not wet leads. They don't have the mm -hmm. right signal processing to do neurofeedback. Um, so if that's something you're thinking of uh, taking on a little bit, which makes sense that you would, I'll connect you with those people. Definitely. That would be, yeah. If, if uh, there was a cheap home device that actually make it a lot more simple. If there's a cheap home device and the right protocols, because someone can use neurofeedback to train the wrong things and get worse. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. same way they can damage themselves yep. with exercise with bo bad body mechanics. Exactly. That's true. Okay. So one of the other things is that when someone has an undiagnosed illness, which so many of the kind of chronic inflammatory autoimmune-ish illnesses are like, or even if it's diagnosed, but it doesn't have a traditional cure, there's just so much stress thinking about life getting worse yeah. and not knowing what's going on. And the anxiety makes it worse. One of the things that you had going on was enough empowerment to say, I can figure out something that the doctors didn't tell me an answer to. That was part of it. I, I think that was a big part, um, feeling self-empowered. I also thought that I also um, did a lot of acceptance work. And I kind of, at some, like I, I would say like, okay, if I had these issues all my life, you know, it's not so bad. I'd still rather be alive than not alive. It's, you know, I, I, it's, not, it's not the end of the world, right? So it's kind of accepting your place wherever you are at that point. And saying like, okay, it's not so bad. I could still enjoy life. I, you know, maybe I'm not going to um, do anything great in my life or, you know, start a business or, you know, do something great professionally. But I think I could be happy off a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> uh, I think I'll just, you know, chill out, whatever. Um, you know, I'm just not gonna, I won't get anything done. And yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be tired. You know, it's not the end of the world. I'll sleep more. I'll, I don't have motivation, but that's, that's also not the end of the world. Um, it, you know, it was, I, I just kind of came to an acceptance where it's not the end of the world. Uh, and then, but obviously everyone has, everyone wants to get better. So no matter how much I would tell myself, you know, it's fine, you know, just whatever, except the situation you're in, you're still going to, uh, try to get better. And so that's, that's what I did. I was kind of like, accept where I am now, but, uh, I understand that my body's always going to motivate me to learn more and to figure this out until I'm completely better. And that's what happened. I think as most wise people do, you work both sides of the serenity prayer, yeah. right? <laughs> Accepting that in the moment you couldn't change it, maybe you wouldn't be able to, the anxiety dropped, which actually empowered you to change it. Exactly, exactly. Well, it, 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 it allowed me to be in a place where I wasn't like in a fight or flight all the time. Like, oh, I got to change this now or tomorrow. I got to, you know, I've got a test in two weeks or, you know, I got to be fixed before the test or something kind of like all right you know i'll figure this out and whenever it happens so let's talk about how you studied i think this is an important topic and kind of people taking responsibility for their health if we go to your website there are insights that you talk about that come from genomics and from epigenetics from cell biology from rheumatology from parasitology from toxicology from microbiology it's a lot of domain disciplines right to mm -hmm understand how the human organism works. Uh, did you have a formal university training in some of the sciences? How did you go about studying the other ones? Talk about that a little bit. So um, I guess what I did was, uh, so first I, 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 I was thinking about going to graduate school. So I did take the pre-medical courses. Those were helpful. They gave you a background. I didn't, I didn't actually go to any of my classes though. And I was just like, 
I didn't study as much as I should because I was just focused on like reading as much research as I can. Um, I guess what I did was just simply just like I would read a study. There'd be a term I didn't like probably like in the beginning it was like, I don't know what half of this, like, I don't know what every other word here means. (laughs) And so I would just like look up every single word um, and kind of in some ways I would just start memorizing things. I would watch some videos. So if there was a topic, um, I found actually pictures to be very useful. Like from a picture, you could figure out quite a lot um, with, especially when it came to biochemistry. So it'd be like, uh, there would be like some biochemistry, like this pathway goes to this pathway and that pathway. And it's like, wait a second, you just need a picture of it. So you just like Google, you, you could just type in, let's say mTOR, find the pictures. And all of a sudden you're going to find pictures of, of everything related to mTOR. You'll see like all the diseases it's associated with, um, uh, you know, all the different pathways that lead to mTOR, even a lot of supplements that activate or inhibit it. So I think pictures were useful. I think videos were useful as now, well. Now, for people who haven't already studied, when you say pictures, you mostly mean infographics, right? These are the biochemical charts that yeah, show – Yeah, scientific infographics uh, yep. mainly. And, and I would just like look at them a lot and, um, and, and that would like really give me a bigger picture. Super useful. Um, videos were – I would just like listen to videos on double speed and just like um, – because sometimes videos could be slow. Um, and then, and and that can like give you an idea about like, so if you're studying the mitochondria, um, you could read a Wikipedia post about it, but if you watched one 10 minute video, like a solid video, you're going to understand the mitochondria very well. And so I think like visually, um, I think that's important. And then I, I just think like hitting it from both ways. So first you're like just trying to read the studies and then you're obviously not understanding everything. Um, and then you go to, okay, like you go to a picture, you go to a video. Um, I mean, again, the goal of self-hacked is to make all that like way, way simpler so that, because even Wikipedia is extremely tough to understand if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the domain. So I actually think now if I was doing it, I would first read, and I'm not trying to just, you know, plug my own site here. I would actually would first read self-hacked because that's a, um, if you read all the posts on self-hacked, you're actually going to get a broad uh, idea a broad understanding of science at this stage. And that's, if I was starting out, I would just like, if I wanted to understand the body, I would start out doing that. And then later you can start looking, and we have images there as well. Later, while you're reading it, if you don't understand something, you can watch a video, look at an image. Um, Now, once you finish that, I think at that stage, you should have a decent idea. Like it'll give you the background and then you could start reading studies and then if you don't know something, you can look it up. That's what I would do at this yeah. stage. Okay. So for the audience, I'd like everybody to just kind of take note of something here. So there are many areas related to uh, health, wellness, pathology, nutrition, personalized medicine related to people's genetic predispositions and biochemistry that Joe does have insight that specialists in the areas don't have. And this is how it's trained. And it's it's actually realizable for everyone. So there's something, there's a psychologic predisposition that says, I'm actually going to test all these 500 things on myself. And even if only 10 work, right? Notice that means I'm willing to accept a lot of failure and put in a lot of energy for the upside. So there's more upside waiting than downside. That's part of the psychological disposition. And then there's willingness to actually apply a lot, pay a lot of attention and study a lot but what the study a lot means, right? Like some people don't think themselves 
intelligent enough, but to just get a sense, you're reading something, you don't know what the word means, look it up, go back to that sentence. Yeah. Try and find a video on it, see if it makes sense. And it's amazing how if one actually does take the time to study where they're, they're just trying, you know, most people have enough trauma from school around the topic of study that they associate it with doing things they don't actually want to do and a lack of freedom. But if you realize, hey, I actually want to do this to increase my power and capacity in life, whatever the topic is, but even in an area that's as tricky as medicine, you can gain a tremendous amount of knowledge fairly quickly. Yeah. And, and, and like, I'll give you an example of, um, you know, while you're reading stuff, you, you know, reading through the post, whatever, let's say, let's take an example with dopamine. We have about four or five posts on dopamine and dopamine is really important for physiology. And when you read those posts in an hour, you can really understand dopamine more than most biologists will just by, you know, they haven't studied dopamine in a really long time. We actually give a technical test uh, to our writers and a lot of PhDs don't even know uh, what the neurotransmitter, they, they won't, they'll get wrong. Like they don't know glutamate is a neurotransmitter or, or that GABA or, or dopamine or acetylcholine, they'll get that question wrong. And so, and these are researchers, doctors that are the same. So, uh, you know, if you're going to a doctor or you think, oh, someone with a PhD, they must know everything about science. It's actually a misleading thing. You will yeah. know more about dopamine in one hour than anyone that you've, you know, any doctor or PhD that you spoke with, unless they're a researcher on dopamine. Yeah. So, uh, and, and why is that important, right? So you, now you know about dopamine. Why is that important? Because there's a lot of supplements that increase dopamine. And you want to know if, if you're low on dopamine, then you want to take things that are higher in dopamine. Um, now, the qualia, uh, which the neurohacker, is, everyone listening to this podcast, I'm assuming they, they know that that's what you guys sell. Um, it, qualia is a supplement that is going to increase dopamine. It's generally, as I understand it, it's a, more of a dopaminergic supplement. So um, most of the people are going to do better on higher dopamine, on, on, on increasing dopamine. But you know, if you just read about dopamine, you will clearly see if you think you should improve it or not. Now, we have uh, something in self-decode. I, I, I took it down in the short term because it's not fully fleshed out. But it's something that, you know, you put in your symptoms and we'll tell you if you're high or low dopamine. Um, you know, people complained about the feature because it wasn't fully fleshed out. So that's why we took it down. But essentially, if it, you know, at this stage, you can just, um, uh, you know, you could read through the post. We do, if you have your genetic sequence, we also have uh, a lot of genes related to dopamine that we categorize. So we have like gene packs and you can look at all the genes related to dopamine and see, okay, is there any problems with these genes? You can read through them as well. That's kind of more of a personalized take in terms of what's your genetic underlying genetics. Now, if you don't have any genes that are going to cause low dopamine, you might just be living a very unhealthy lifestyle and still have low dopamine. Um, or just, you know, it doesn't show up with those genes, but, but there, there's quite a few genes on dopamine. Um, so yeah, and, and that will allow you to know which supplement you will do well with. So again, for those listening, if, uh, if you do your research and you find a really good functional medicine doctor or integrative doctor, and particularly one who does a lot of ongoing training and maybe even has a facility where research happens at their facility, they will be a universe different than most any other doctor that you have worked with. And you will spend a lot of money going there. 
Um, and if you can afford that, then, it, <laughs> and you have need to, uh, very useful. Um, but even there, keeping up with the research everywhere, this is actually kind of like one of the um, areas where the singularity has already hit, meaning there is more information across the field of medicine than anyone can keep up with. Mm -hmm. And so being able to have, you know, places like uh, self-hacked and, you know, in, in certain domains, neurohackers working to do this, where you have fields of researchers across disciplines working to synthesize it and say, you know, nobody can read all the research, but here is the actual meaningful new insights that are advancing. Very useful. But, you know, this was a core thing that my dad always emphasized when I was a kid, which was if you don't understand auto mechanics or you don't understand medicine and you go to an expert and they tell you what you need done and they have financial incentive in a particular way, uh, then you just have no power in the scenario. And we're not speaking about malintention. We're speaking about a system that only gives doctors five minutes with people and doesn't give them time to do ongoing research and drives them to hyper-specialization when there are exactly. cross-domain issues. So this is just systemic, right? Every kid who wanted to be a doctor wanted to be a good doctor. Um, but this is the more you ultimately, like whether the therapy works or not, it's your life, not the doctor's life, your health. Your, and so the more you know about it, the more you can even ask intelligent questions, monitor it, ask about alternatives. And one thing I'll say for sure about the sign of a good doctor is a good doctor wants you to be very well educated. They like your questions and they're happy to say, I don't know if they don't know something and be engaged in the research with you. If you have a doctor who says, I'm the doctor, you're the patient, like shut up and do what I say, then instantly fire them. Right. Exactly. So you guys are, you guys are going to get um, more into content now. Is that something you're going to focus more on now? Well, within, um, Within specific areas, like, you know, when it comes to neurotech, we're starting to work on curating neurotech. Mm -hmm. So if we look at transcranial magnetic stem or transcranial mm. direct stem or mm. low-level laser therapy or whatever, um, anything that will actually meaningfully enhance some aspect of uh, psychoneuro capability mm -hmm. and, and health and wellness and performance writ large, we want to we want to create products where there's a need to, because we don't see anything on the market that does what we want, but we also want to curate products and services that we think are best in class and meaningful. But as you know, it's actually not trivial to know what something does because you can see a clinical trial that shows that some markers affected beyond a placebo, but you don't know what other markers were negatively affected that weren't included yeah. in the study. You don't know uh, if it works through pathways where when you stop using the thing, you've created dependence, you know? And so, actually making sense of a topic takes some deep work. And so yeah. what we're specifically looking at is being able to do that deep uh, interdisciplinary sense-making of all the science and research and, and human experience in the quantified self field to be able to curate the products and services that will actually be meaningful for people. I agree. Um, that's why uh, to create these posts, to create like really interdisciplinary posts that are very thorough and concise and, and everything, it, it actually takes a lot of work. And it does. The, the interesting, I, 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 we didn't speak about this before actually, but um, uh, you were telling me that you had two people in Portugal. Um, you have some researchers, you know, yeah. writing content. You had two scientists in Portugal. Uh, the funniest thing is that I interviewed a guy yesterday and okay, he was from Portugal. I was like, I, he passed through all of our cognitive tests, the technical tests. And I see he worked for a neurohacker collective when he sent me his resume. 
I'm like, what? Yosha. Uh, Jose? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was like, oh, interesting. So he was a neuroscientist and, yep. uh, he, you know, he, he did well on the cognitive test. He did well on the technical test. It was just, it happened to be funny because we got him uh, through like a, a random way. He came to us and like, you were telling me that you had these scientists that were doing content. It was just hilarious that I was like, oh, wow, this is I, really I'm happy to hear that. The project he was doing, he did a brilliant job. And then we just completed that project. Um, and so we didn't have uh, an ongoing engagement for him. But if mm -hmm. I did, I would have engaged him further because he did wonderful work. So um, congratulations on finding him. <laughs> well, we're, we're still, he still like, uh, he still has to complete a post. Yeah. But um, essentially it was just funny that, you know, uh, to find these people who can do interdisciplinary work, it's not an easy, we didn't it's not an have, easy job. We didn't have them writing. It was just research because mm. as we make the products, we actually do. So we have, you know, a number of more products that are, almost ready to release. Um, but as we're doing products, we do a literature review of all of the research on each ingredient. Mm. And so, you know, we'll, and if you like, you know, Qualia has 42 ingredients, but that was 42 from an initial database of 500 that we started with that work on mechanisms related to the things we wanted. Mm -hmm. And so to do a full literature review on all of those is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But that's what gives us the basis to create safety data sheet and to look at the synergy between the mechanisms and ensure for positive and not negative synergies and absorption pathways and all that. I think I think that's very important. I don't think uh, any sub other supplement companies are really taking the time to really do all the research and make sure and you know try to look thing at things as at many angles as possible. They're just like creating something and you know uh, hoping it sells. <laughs> As you, it's the same as content, right? Like if I was creating products that way, we'd have like a hundred of them already. Exactly. It just, it takes a long time to do a good job with all the research. And then the split testing internally, exactly. you know, is about a hundred iterations and then moving into yeah, trials. Exactly. If I wanted to just create like fluff articles of 500 words, I could have like 10,000 posts out right now, <laughs> you know, but like we just, I built this whole testing system in part to be able to filter out people who have the cognitive abilities and then, you know, technical tests and then all this infrastructure to be able to create the content. And then even then it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to be profitable when you're putting a lot, so much time into content. It's, it's this like, is, um, this is why we're talking is because uh, putting a lot of time into actually doing a good job um, and having integrity in the work is what I respect. And I think, uh, I think your path to profitability is, will definitely happen. I, well, you know, if it doesn't, at the end of the day, at least, uh, uh, well, you know, we're, we are overall, we are profitable, but you know, if, if it's not like super profitable or anything like that, as long as it's breaking even, I think uh, having the information out there is important. Having a good resource out there is just an important thing by itself. So I do recommend to our listeners that, uh, you know, if there are topics that you're researching, it's definitely valuable to learn how to read medical research, to go to PubMed, be able to read that. It's definitely worth looking up all the words and terms. And the videos are super useful. When you can go watch um, a video that explains a biochemical pathway, um, for so many people, it gets clear coming into those senses. But uh, to put the pieces together, if there's, you know, in our internal team, when we're actually training people how to do research, one thing that they all learn is check out the self-hacked post on the topic. You know, then go to the original literature and research, but have them all do that because they really do a great job. And so recommend 
to everybody that uh, it's a it is a really great starting place and then you'll have a sense of individual topics you want to go further now that said it does go deep enough that you will have to look up a lot of words if you don't have a, a yeah. bio background and we try to great. reduce that as education. much as possible but you know at a certain point it's like you have to give the science over um there's just terms that people are going to have to learn so to leave people with some information here when when you were testing on yourself right and you said you know 500 or whatever uh supplements and it wasn't just supplements right you tested no, neurofeedback yeah, and lots exactly. of things how would you test how so you mentioned dosage but were you looking at physical biomarkers looking at cognitive performance and some objective kinds of online quantified mind things were you just looking at subjective state how did you what was your quantified self process i think everyone needs to have their own process um i think some people I meet a lot of people who just don't know what something is doing to them and they're not very self-aware with their body. And, and, and that's a, a common theme by a lot of people. Uh, then you have other people that are a little, uh, they have like false, false positives. They, they might be more susceptible to the placebo effect. And so I think um, doing some cognitive tests, I think is a good thing or, or doing blood tests for me, um, you know, blood tests are very expensive and maybe now I can afford them, but there's no way I was going to be able to afford them when I was sick. Uh, so that wasn't the path for me. Um, you know, getting my gene sequence was cheap, right? So that, that was something that I did relatively early on, but, um, other things like if you're just going to keep measuring blood markers, I mean, that could get very expensive and that wasn't, that wasn't the path for me. What, however, I, I guess I, I, I was, I, I did feel like I, I got a sense of that I was able to figure out what things were doing to me, especially at higher doses. So for me, it was just, um, I would, when I would experiment with something, I wouldn't do it when I was like completely preoccupied with something else. You know, normally, so the average person is going to be like, okay, they're drinking their cup, their are three, four, five cups of coffee a day. And, like, and then they pop a supplement. They're not, you, you're not going to really understand what's going on if you, you drank five cups of coffee, you know? So one um, of the other topics you're bringing up is you would do some variable isolation. Yeah. And variable try to take isolation. the noise down as much as possible. Exactly. So variable isolation was critical, making sure I was in a calm, not busy state. And so like, uh, I would just be like doing nothing and take it and like, maybe like doing some light reading uh, then paying attention, what happened, you know, do, do I feel any different or whatever? I wouldn't take a supplement and then go exercise, right? Um, then you're not testing the supplement. You're not going to figure out what the supplement is doing if you just exercised or you were like really focused at work or uh, you drank a lot of coffee or, or took a stimulant or something like that. So variable isolation, especially with the stimulants, um, I, I think is very important. And then, uh, you know, not doing anything that could uh it, it, certain variables are way worse if you're trying to figure out what's going on like uh exercise or right uh, you know something like meditation is probably the best thing so you just like take something and that's when you meditate like an hour later you could see what's going on so you're increasing your internal sensing exactly exactly less so, you're 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 if you have too much uh environmental stimuli too much external stimuli like loud music or um too many things going on the outside, then you're just not going to, you're going to be less likely to figure it out. You still could figure it out possibly, but much less likely. So I would just isolate my environment. I'd be more in a quiet environment, more in a meditative state, calm, relaxed, and then I would see what's happening. 
I'd like to ask you some further questions about this because you've done this a lot more than I did. I, I figured out how to do lots of continuous blood tests. Mm-hmm. And it was, of course, stupid expensive in that, like, <laughs> so figuring out how to study science and medicine and figuring out how to pay for it kind of went together. Right. Um, but there are many things, there are many pathologies that develop asymptomatically, right? So someone can finally have a symptom, go check it out and see that there's a tumor that has actually been developing for a long time, which means it was asymptomatic for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so say we, and let's take a tumor as an example. Let's say we have tumor and it shows up on a prostate scan because PSA went up or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's totally asymptomatic. Now, whether it's shrinking or not based on something I'm doing might be pretty hard to subjectively tell. Yeah. For sure. um, and so obviously I can monitor PSA levels and PAP and free PSA. And, exactly. Um, but I can, and I can rerun the, you know, Doppler ultrasound, the MPMRI, the whatever. Um, but that would be something that's pretty hard to subjectively notice unless someone has um, superpower proprioceptive, you know, skills, um, internal skills. One, One million percent. Yeah. And I think of a lot of things like say we're doing the Walsh work with people and they have high copper, low zinc, and we're changing it. It has to change very slowly or you actually can induce psychotic breaks in people. Mm -hmm. And so if we're giving people zinc and they are getting better definitely over a three to six to nine month period, it's not actually obvious in a week or two weeks at what's happening. And if you go high dose, it's not necessarily uh, beneficial. So how do you handle things where either it might be asymptomatic or where it's going to take a while? Okay. So if it's something that's going to take a while or it's asymptomatic, I'm 100% on board. There's no way you're just going to like meditate and figure it out. <laughs> um, you have to get a blood marker. It happened to be that my issues, uh, I, I'm kind of talking from personal experience. My issues were more uh, crippling my day-to-day function. And right. so if I was able to function better, I knew that I was going in the right direction. But if you have a tumor and it's hard to see if your tumor got reduced or something, right? It, let's say your PSA levels are high, you have to do the biomarker route. There's no other, there's no other option. Um, so, so you were dealing with inflammation. So that was pain, fatigue, brain fog. And so you really could see relatively quick shifts in some of the inflammatory markers as they expressed in your symptomology. Exactly. Exactly. I guess I had a unique issue, somewhat unique. I mean, I feel like um, a fair amount of people have something similar, but where if I got inflammation, I would get tired. Uh, Mm -hmm. For me, my hypothalamus would get hit hard whenever my inflammation went up. And Again, it could be something autoimmune related. Nobody really knows. You know, I, they, nobody, they, can't really, they can't really test hypothalamic antibodies. Um, maybe, you know, maybe if I did a spinal tap or something, but I'm not doing that. So um, you know, it, it's something that, that it's just a little bit of guesswork. But definitely when my inflammation went up, my hypothalamus got hit. And then all the functions of the hypothalamus would, would go awry. It would go right. wrong. Things would start breaking. Like the hypothalamus controls wakefulness. All of a sudden, yeah. I get fatigue. It controls motivation. All of a sudden, I become unmotivated. And so, it, you know, it controls fluid balance. All of a sudden, I feel like I need to pee all the time. Um, you know, so there was definitely, I, I did, this was through just understanding the physiology. Uh, I was like, oh, wait a second, the hypothalamus actually correlates with all my symptoms. And it was just piecing those puzzles together. But if someone has um, something like, let's say, Hashimoto's even, right? You have antibodies in your thyroid. Your antibodies could be high. And 
your thyroid hormones won't change that much. Um, so something like that, you, you, it, it is easy to figure out just by testing. Um, I, 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 you know, when I was consulting with people, uh, there were cases, quite a few of them, where somebody's inflammatory markers went down, but they didn't actually get better. They didn't mm-hmm. notice a difference. However, there was probably other things going on, right? Mm-hmm. That, that uh, it's still better that their inflammatory markers went down. And so obviously they're doing something right. Um, like, you know, I, I can think of one example was just like, um, yeah, the CRP was like really high. They were, they started taking some supplements, doing some things. CRP went down to normal, but the person still had an autoimmune type issue. Just their inflammation went down dramatically. So, um, I, I think measuring those things and, uh, when you can't tell and, uh, you know, uh, saying, okay, this is. You, you you do have to do a different experimental style. You have to do one thing. You have to do more research. Make sure you're uh, onto the, like, make sure you have a very good guess and then try it out for, you know, six weeks or whatever it is. So you mentioned that one of the first things you noticed was getting tired after you would eat. This is actually a really kind of important symptom. So share with people what you learned that could mean. So, um, you know, the, I had all these symptoms of uh, what people called adrenal fatigue, right? You know, um, anxiety, whatever, uh, fatigue, um, you know, uh, I guess lack of motivation, somewhat worse mood. I, I, I guess naturally um, it's interesting because I've always been somewhat of a mentally stable guy. Um, but when the issues went down, I actually was like extremely mentally stable. And it, whereas before I was like, you know, uh, average or something or above average, but, um, it, you know, it was making me less mentally stable and, um, motivation issues, anxiety, things like that. Processing speed was, was terrible. Uh, like I, I would learn some information and it just wouldn't process. And the hypothalamus does that. It kind of, uh, integrates a lot of processing in the brain. So and again, so I just I, want to make a note here for the listeners. So Joe learned all the things that he learned while his brain was misfunctioning, his processing speed was down and his memory was down. And then yep. he was learning how to increase that. Exactly. But in terms of, I don't have the capacity to do that. It really is a bullshit story. Yeah, no, I, I think, and I didn't have any like websites that had good information back then. I was just like, you know, my brain, I was tired. My brain wasn't working and I was just plowing through. It's like just trying to learn as much as possible. But the, so the hypothalamus controls, uh, it also controls sleep-wake cycles. So I had sleeping issues. Um, and so I, I knew that there was an issue with the hypothalamus. And so the question is, what is that? What's causing the issue, right? And I, I, I figured out that inflammation um, has an effect on the hypothalamus. Now, I couldn't be sure if it was an antibody problem or if it was just a direct effect. And I still don't know 100%. But um, what I started doing research early on on orexin. Orexin is this wakefulness neurotransmitter. And as I connected the dots, you see orexin gets shut down when there's inflammation. So you get tired. Um, And then you also see that, like I noticed when I ate carbs, orexin gets shut down even more. And so you get even more tired. Uh, And then I started doing research in general. And I realized that a lot of carbs have, are high in what's called lectins. Lectins can cause an inflammatory response. Um, it could be lectins. It could be any other of the numerous inflamm- like uh, immune stimulants in plants. Plants have quite a lot of immune stimulants. So, um, uh, you know, 
that that's when I figured out, okay, this is the hypothalamus inflammation is causing these issues. I got to figure out how to bring down this inflammation. And, you know, the diet was a very big factor for me. Mm -hmm. um, other so, things as well, but yeah. the diet. Was so in general, if someone is getting tired after meals, what do you suggest they explore? So, um, uh, we have we, just if people get lost a bit, we do have. If you just Google fatigue after meals, our post is going to come up near the top. So, just give you that background there. But uh, if someone's getting tired after meals, uh, you want to explore are they eating too many carbs, right? That some people will just eat too many carbs, but even then, if you're eating carbs, that shouldn't be uh, it, it shouldn't be an issue. It, it, it also depends on when you're getting tired. If you get tired an hour after a meal, then that's probably inflammation. If you eat like a high sugar drink or if you consume a high sugar drink and then you get tired or like a high, uh, you know, if you eat just a ton of bread and then you get tired like white bread and then you get tired two hours later, it could be like reactive hypoglycemia or something. But in general, uh, if you're getting tired after meals, it means your body is probably having some kind of inflammatory response and that's affecting your hypothalamus. Um, and, and when you have inflammation, your mitochondria are not working as well, and uh, erexin goes down, which is that wakefulness neurotransmitter in the brain. And some people who get tired after anything they eat, then we're looking at some kind of chronic GI issues. Um, yeah, generally, um, I, I did have a lot of GI issues, and but but when I stopped eating. Uh, essentially most plants uh, like grains, beans, nuts, and seeds, uh, the GI issues went away. And uh, actually the GI issues went away before the fatigue went away. Um, meaning like I, if I stop eating like gluten and like dairy and maybe, you know, some other high FODMAP grains or something like that, um, my, my, my GI issues will probably like go away as long as I don't eat too much. Um, but if I, but I, I'll still get tired. I'll still have other effects. So even if you don't notice any GI issues, um, it could still, it could still be a problem. I mean, people speak about leaky gut and, and stuff. What the question is, what's causing that leaky gut? And if you're constantly eating a food that is giving you an inflammatory response, that's going to cause leaky gut and all these other issues, um, and that's going to cause inflammation as well. So there is more information on that on your site. Uh, yeah. fatigue after meals, mm -hmm. just a or couple tired fun, after meals or whatever. Yeah. Just a couple fun topics that you addressed on your site that were not biochemical. They were uh, biophysical and that they address um, kind of neurology specifically is you address low level laser therapy transcranially mm -hmm. and uh, you, and PEMF transcranially. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, there's a cool little PEMF device that you, have on your site. Mm -hmm. So would you tell us about those two things? So um, I think they're good for different things. Um, when I was reacting a lot to food, the, the PEMF device did help me. Uh, it's called ISIS. Now, the, the thing is, is that um, when it comes to PEMF, I was more enthusiastic about it in the beginning because it helped me. But then I got reports in and, you know, the answer is that people's problems are complex. They buy a device and they think it's going to cure them. So I want to be clear that for me, it helped food sensitivities, 
Um, but it was, in the end, it was better for me not to eat the foods in general, even though I could reduce the inflammatory response. Were you um, using the PMF over the GI region? Yeah. So yeah. I was using the PMF over the GI region and, and it helped uh, at least 50%. Uh, for so me. for those who aren't familiar, PMF is pulsed electromagnetic fields. So you're getting this pulse of an elect of a basically a magnetic field, and if it's strong enough, you can feel it. If it's not strong enough, you don't feel it, but it still has a number of physiologic effects. Yeah. So the the um, PMF was um, was somewhat useful at a certain stage for me. And um, have you ever the used is, the Have you ever yeah. used the large like I have the uh, PMF 100, the no. large therapeutic devices? No. So it's a such a different creature at that range. Oh, you know what? I, I have used a much more powerful device. Not the one you're talking about, but I have mm -hmm. used like more powerful devices. Yeah. Uh, profound for uh, joint and, you know, physiology recovery, but also the effect on Zeta potential. Super interesting. Yeah. So I, I think the- I haven't studied the ISIS one yet. I'm curious too, because it's yeah. tiny. It's small. It's you could carry it around. That's what I liked about it. Um, and you could just like leave it on your stomach the whole day if need be. But um, the the thing is, is that what I found is that it has very good re response rates for people who have like some kind of bone injury. Uh, if people have a joint injury, um, the infrared is much much more useful if it can go through. Um, the problem with infrared is often you need a power powerful device to be able to. Um, you know, for it to go through more of a superficial layers of your physiology, but it, it some of it does get through. So if you had like a, it, it all depends on what issues you have. Uh, the infrared device um, has its own issues. So ISIS is good because it can penetrate deeply into your physiology. Uh, the the infrared doesn't penetrate as deep. It's more superficial. Um, but the one that we have on the site, uh, you know, we, we have a few of them that you can, uh, that you can purchase, but the one that we have, we link to actually is more powerful and it goes deeper in the brain. But even so, um, you have violet on there, the violet's or? on there. And then, mm -hmm. you know, then there's a cheaper one, which if, if you don't have the money for the violet, uh, you could just get a CCTV, uh, infrared camera and it, it does the job. Um, the issue with the infrared also is if you have a lot of hair, it's going to mm -hmm. block out the infrared, right? So it's a little tricky. For me, I used to shave my head and I just put it on and then it, like it was more like it, it penetrated pretty deeply. If you have a lot of hair, um, it's going to be more tricky. So, you know, people are asking what device should I get? Uh, it all depends on like what the issue is or, um, you know, if, it, if you have very thick hair and a lot of it, it's, it's probably not going to penetrate that well. Have you um, seen the transcranial laser for TBI systems? Uh, is that what the company's called, TBI systems? No, no, no. Uh, for a traumatic brain injury, there's a few yeah. groups that have helmets that have a few hundred very potent LEDs. Um, and then also go up the nostrils, sometimes in the mouth, in the ears, um, and over the eyes. And so it's a kind of all-directional saturation mm. of... Uh, near infrared yeah the violet does have through the nose but uh yeah. I, I haven't seen the ones that go through the ears and nose um i don't know if you want it necessarily going through the eyes um you want to you want to through closed eyelids oh co okay i see yeah and uh but the results for tbi have been amazing for because you know when you're dealing with tbi obviously uh 
there's a lot of different dynamics that are involved and mm-hmm. you might be needing cerebral antioxidants or neurogenics or neurotophagy, but increased ATP is going to be useful no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, it makes sense. You know, if, if you have like a ton of lasers and they're um, shining or LEDs and they're shining, you know, with a powerful strength, then uh, a fair amount will probably get in. But either way, if you did have a TBI, I would shave, I would shave your head and, and do it that way. So you do have a couple systems on your site that you've uh, vetted that are good? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, uh, the Violite was pretty good. Um, but again, the you know it goes through the nose and it goes through the head. Uh, I think the issue is still, though, if, if you have a lot of hair, mm-hmm. um, it, it's not like a massive, like it doesn't have like tons of LEDs. It's just got like... Um, just a it, few. It, it's got, I th- I don't, I'm not sure, I think it's got like 10 or something. I do but, use the intranasal one nightly. Oh, you do? Yeah. Um, that does have a lot of research, a fair amount of research, but um, I don't notice any like anything acutely. Yeah. It's kind of just like long-term, I guess. That, that's why I was asking that question is because the research is good. The, yeah. The mechanisms make lots of sense, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think it's going to be profoundly subjective right away. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I used to shave my head, uh, the, the, the one for the brain – it had a different effect than the CCTV. I did yeah. notice it was more, it, it like pen, it had a different effect. It felt like it penetrated more deeply, whereas the CCTV ones were good for um, more superficial. Now, I can't tell what people are gonna feel like if they have a full head of hair that's thick. I, you know, I, I don't know. But the, the research is there that um, it does have a beneficial effect. So, this has been fun. I appreciate what you've shared about your journey specifically in terms of the empowerment to figure things out on your own, even in the presence of uh, brain fog and fatigue and being broke. And so most people when they're, when they're sick, you know, those are reasons that they can't get better. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome to, uh, you know, know that one can get better in that place and that you know, you were able to not only get better, but now you've got one of the top publishing sites and are helping tens or hundreds of thousands of people. And um, so you have a couple books. Would you just give a quick load on if people want to check them out? Yeah. So uh, we have, um, uh, we have three books right now. And uh, one is just like, uh, it's got recipes. I call, we call it the lectin avoidance cookbook because lectins is a component in plants that stimulates a lot of people's immune system. So I mean, but there's other components that we try to select out for. Uh, so we got that cookbook if someone wants to, you know, be able to cook, have some recipes. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, we also have uh, the Self-Hack Secrets, which is essentially like an overview of the big ideas that I think you need to be starting with in order to get better. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was starting from a, 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 you know, place where I didn't even know what to start with. So I was just doing things randomly. Um, the self-hack secrets, I think is a good, it, it's, it's a good overview on, uh, just the general things that someone needs to be starting with. Like what's the big reasons why people are un- unhealthy. And then we have biohacking insomnia, which is, you know, uh, talks a lot about how to get good night's sleep and what, what's the physiology of people who have insomnia and things like that. Um, we also have, uh, we also released a course that is, uh, cause a lot of, we released a course that we call it the self-hack protocol. Basically, um, a lot of people had some issues, you know, with diet, right? Mm-hmm. 
uh, I, I think diet is an important factor. I mean, there's other factors as well as, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of important factors, but diet is something that people do need to get right. And everybody's got a different diet. We don't have like a specific thing that someone needs to do. We just have a framework with, uh, you know, going through it step-by-step step, how people need to implement a diet in order to figure out which diet works for them. And so that they can figure out that part, which is a basic and fundamental part. And so we released that um, recently. We actually closed it out. What we wanted to do was we wanted to first have like a core group of like 250 people and then like, you know, work on the course as much as possible, get feedback and try to make the course as good as possible, see what people are having issues with and then keep on releasing videos. So we're going to relaunch it in January and um, uh, you know, include everything else that people want to know. We're also going to include things that are general, like, you know, stuff about inflammation, stuff in general that, that people need to get better. Uh, and then um, what else? So that, that's, those are the, the, the main products we offer. We also have a VIP section that I do webinars. People can ask, ask questions and then we record it and uh, the video is saved. And so self-decode. Yeah. And then, so the self-decode is good if, you know, if you got your genetic sequence by a company like 23andMe or Ancestry, and then... Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's the most comprehensive program on genetics. Uh, and that allows you to, uh, it allows you to go through a lot of information and um, figure out things that are important for you. And so for me, I can give you an example. Uh, one thing that was, that I figured out from my genetics, I figured out a couple things, but one thing was that I had a cannabinoid receptor that wasn't working properly. And the cannabinoid receptor actually has a lot of uh, impacts on the hypothalamus. It's the hypothalamus is the richest source of cannabinoid one receptors. And it actually influences wakefulness and uh, inflammation and uh, food sensitivities and things like that. And when I figured that out, it made me, I started doing experiments with low doses of THC. And that actually had a, an important impact. If I want to mm -hmm. reduce the food sensitivities, I just take THC and CBD. Mm -hmm. And that has a very powerful impact on reducing the food sensitivities. So that's an example where I figured out something from my genes instead of doing just general research, I wish I was never going to figure out or, or just experiments. Because mm -hmm. um, you don't know exactly which experiment you even need to do. How do I know that I should take THC right before meal? You know, um, So I think there's a place for information. There's a place for uh, you know, doing in-depth research on your genetics. And so, yeah, we're constantly trying to improve the genetics. Um, uh, we're trying to, it's a bit of an issue when, with the genetics because it's, it is extremely complex. And if we oversimplify it, we feel like we're underselling, we're, we're misleading people. Uh, but we are trying to, you know, ha we do have like a simple area where you can understand we're trying to improve that. So people um, just have like a lot of simple things they can read. And then they could dive very deep into the program, which is, again, the most comprehensive out there. Um, most other programs are looking at 50 SNPs. Mm -hmm. We look at 15,000 SNPs. And then we have a, a, a substance database of, you know, uh, shows you, showing you how the substances interact with the SNPs that, or genes that are potentially problematic. And then you can yep. like click on the genes and SNPs and things like that. So those are the products we offer. Cool. And yeah. Genetics is, uh, you know, anyone old enough to remember when the human genome project started and then when it ended the 
the hope and the excitement of a full personalized medicine where we'd be able to solve everything at the level of the uh, core code and generator function. And we have had almost none of that actually come to bear yet because we came to realize that there's huge redundancies in the genome. There's combinatorics between the exactly. individual genes. Very little is one individual SNP. And then none of that's even factoring whether the gene's expressing or not. And then it, yep. its expression changes based on blood chemistry from what we're exposed to. So it's complex, but we're advancing. And we're advancing at the intersection of multiple omics, genomics, proteomics, transcriptomics coming together. And one of the ways is platforms like um, you know, 23andMe where we can get more sequencing and like Joe's platform where people can learn about it and data analysis can start to happen across large databases. And, you know, we look at uBiome and Viome, this kind of citizen science is actually kind of needed here to advance these fields. And even if you don't know exactly what to do with your health just from the genes, knowing the predispositions is valuable Knowing if you have APOE4 makes a big difference yep. to what you should be doing in your life. Yeah, there's, so a, there's definitely a lot of like single genes which do have an impact. Um, and then you could just look at things that don't have that big of an impact, but you might put the picture together. Um, but there's obviously like way more to it. And unfortunately, you're not going to like just figure out everything that's going on from your mm -hmm. genes. But uh, it is yeah. so inexpensive and there are such valuable insights that can come. Exactly. It's kind of a foundation lots of people should do. Exactly. I would say, you know, go check out self-hacked, look at the various things, see what's relevant. And specifically, if you are not sleeping well yet, dive into the insomnia book because uh, nutrition matters and exercise matters. And But none of it matters that much if you aren't sleeping well. So it is a foundational yep. thing to dial yep. in. Okay, great. Joe, this is fun. Thank you yeah. for uh, being on and I uh, look forward to watching self-hacked and self-decode continue to evolve and, um, you know, seeing how we can uh, continue to talk together and collaborate to serve people. Definitely. I appreciate everything you're doing. I appreciate the, uh, the amount of work you're putting into figuring out uh, the optimal, you know, combination of supplements that, that would help people. And I think, um, you know, I, I do notice that you guys are more, sincere and, and focused on, on the product than, um, you know, essentially all the other supplement companies. So I think that's, that's a good thing. And yeah. I, I, you know, I think we're both trying to push the envelope forward and trying to create things that help people. Happy to be on the journey with you, my friend. All right. Take More care. Soon. Great speeding. speeding. Bye all. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Collective Insights. For the full show notes on this episode and for more great interviews, visit us at neurohacker.com slash collective insights. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review on iTunes.